1: Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Bo Humphreys. Bo is a personal finance coach and blogger, and host of the Personal Finance Show podcast. He also runs FinancialAccounting.ca, a website all about helping small businesses understand the value of bookkeeping and accounting. Bo has quite a unique and inspirational story. He was addicted to gambling for most of his life. In fact gambling almost ruined his life. He was in over his head with debt and didn't know how to get out of it. It took him a long time but eventually he squashed his gambling addiction and his debt. In my interview with Bo we discussed the difference between a consumer proposal and bankruptcy, the steps you can take to rebuild your credit. And why there's still hope to own a home, even if you struggle with addiction and money problems. Without further ado, here's my interview with Bo Humphreys. Hi, Bo. How are you doing today?
0: I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for helping me get the podcast launched. It certainly wouldn't be up and running without you. So I really appreciate all your help.
0: Hey, no problem. Uh, You know, uh, running a podcast is not uh, something that you can just get up in the morning and do uh, without uh, having a little bit of help. So I'm happy to help.
1: Great. So I'm excited to have you as a guest on my podcast. You had me as a guest on your podcast a while ago. So uh, let's get started then. Sounds good. So you have quite a unique and inspirational story. You ended up in debt to the tune of $40,000. That's quite a lot of dough. Tell us your story and how you got into that much debt.
0: Yeah, sure. So my story is that I was a gambling addict. I I had a gambling problem for most of my life. Sort of when I was about eleven, I won't go into too much detail about that, but that's when I first got into you know lottery tickets and my first big sort of spend and win when I was really really young. And and uh, you know it's really hard to have an addiction when you're in in like eleven and then going to high school. So. It kind of just was sleeping there the whole time. You know I, There's a lot of signs, but you know, when you look back at things, you don't really know you can't really tell. it's just kids being kids, playing poker, lottery tickets, that kind of stuff. But it really kind of all went south when I went to university and I had uh, an emergency credit card. That's when we kind of figured out that I had an addiction. I was gambling in uh, student residence. I would go to classes, but you know, any spare time I had would be just gambling online, right? Everything was online. And all the casinos online were just starting around 99, 2000 when I started university. And I would get like a $2,500 check in the mail. But little did people know that I had just gambled that away too. And eventually, in the first couple of months of being in residence at university, I maxed out the credit card. And there's no stopping when you're an addict, right? It's not something you can do. So, you know, my parents found out and they tried to help me. And then the next 10 years were really about, trying to figure out what was wrong with me why was i gambling what what is this gambling thing all about it turns out that i had attention deficit disorder and people don't know a lot about ADD they think it's just you can't focus on this or that or you have trouble paying attention to things or you're just running around the room that's more the hyperactivity part of it which i didn't have but you know ADD is about fear it's about not being able to do anything because you don't have any energy everything is hard, right? Like really hard, simple things, right? So I just kind of hated my life, but everybody else was doing this stuff. And so I figured I needed to do this stuff that everyone was doing, going to work every day, doing tasks. So I had to gamble to, to cope with this. Yeah, eventually you win a little bit of money gambling sometimes, but if you're a compulsive gambler, most of the time it's uh, losing money. And so uh, yeah, about 2005, I ended up you know, about 40,000 in dead, and I was just like, you know, that's when I realized I kind of, I'm never gonna get out of this by gambling. So I just started looking more and more what was in, what was like involved and in, in what was wrong with me, what was happening. So I did more introspection and therapy at uh, the, the Canadian Association of Mental Health, CAMH. It's funny, like once you peel back all the layers, then that's how I found out about the ADD and I got tested. I got medicated for that. And that changed my life. I'm still in debt and I'm still gambling, but I was able to sort of clear my head and I'm $40,000 in debt. I'm never going to be able to pay off all this stuff, right? A thousand bucks a month, say high level credit cards, right? I was like, I got to maybe file for bankruptcy or something. And I found out about this thing called a consumer proposal. And I filed that. My 40,000 was reduced to 15, paid that off and 50 months, $300 a month equal payments. Eventually, it was gone, then my credit rating came back, and I recovered from my gambling addiction. It's all hunky-dory now.
1: That's uh, great to hear, and thanks so much <laughs> for sharing your inspirational story with our listeners.
0: That's the quick one.
1: <laughs> it's the Cole's Notes version, I guess. That's
0: right, exactly.
1: Right. So you mentioned that you considered filing for bankruptcy and a consumer proposal. In the end, you ended up choosing a consumer proposal. Walk us through the pros and cons of each because a lot of people aren't familiar with both of them until they find themselves in that unfortunate situation.
0: Yeah. So I, I'm not a bankruptcy trustee or anything. I'm not an expert. I do recommend that you listen to my episode with Doug Hoyes on his podcast, Debt Free and 30. He goes into this a little more in detail, but I can give you the basics based on my experience. So bankruptcy is basically all of your debts are written off. Then you have to spend like 21 months or something like that in bankruptcy. It carries a little more stigma. But at the end of the bankruptcy period, your debts are clear and you can start over. But your bankruptcy stays in your credit report for about seven years and your credit rating is basically ruined. The proposal, on the other hand, is basically... It's like the step before bankruptcy. The bankruptcy trustee goes to your creditors and says, Hey, so do you want fifteen thousand of this forty or do you want zero? Right? And 15, 000 the fifteen thousand is a number that came out by, you know, looking at all the past cases and stuff. And it seems reasonable to shave twenty-five thousand dollars off. And if they say, No, we don't want the fifteen, then I would have filed for bankruptcy and they would have got nothing. They accepted my proposal. And for me, the reason why it was better is because you know i don 't have to give up all of my assets uh, i don 't have to go through this uh, bankruptcy period uh, there 's a lot of stigma I guess there's still stigma like I, I had a ruined credit rating for a while. I knew I wasn't going to be able to you know, get a mortgage or a loan for, for a while, but you know, good thing, I was still in my late twenties and I had no plans at, at that point, so it was the better option for me it saved my life, I think because credit was killing me, right? If I had access to credit card, I would just gamble with it. So it was a really good stopgap measure for me to kind of put it on hold. And and then I was able to figure stuff out without being in as much risk as I was before.
1: And I guess you considered your other options before going with those two options. I guess you spoke with perhaps family and friends and looked at other options before considering filing for bankruptcy or the consumer proposal.
0: Well, that's a good question because... Over the years, I had gone to my parents for, can you cover my debts? Can you do this? Can you help me out? I did all that, and I was just like, I can't go and do this again. I got to take care of this myself. Originally, I did go to family and friends for help, but you can only expect so much before you have to take responsibility. In a way, bankruptcy or proposal is is not necessarily you taking responsibility. You're getting a, a handout from the government. But it's there to to help you, right? And in, in these extreme situations, like nobody was going to be able to pay off all my debt. The thing is, if somebody would have given me forty thousand dollars at that time to pay it off, I don't know that that would have really helped. Cutting it all off and leaving me with no credit and leaving me on cash—that was uh, probably the best learning experience for me at the time.
1: That's a great point, and certainly you've turned your life around financially now. So I think it was a good lesson in hindsight
0: the best part was learning to live on cash for at least the first couple of years. You can get a collateralized card when you have a bad credit. It means you give somebody $500, they put in a GIC and then they give you a credit card. Based on that $500, you have a $500 limit. And if you ever default on it, well, they just take your GIC and cash it out and pay off the balance, of course. And and you made another pretty bad mistake. So you don't want to do that when you're trying to rebuild your credit. So I wasn't really relying on credit for anything. So and with $500, you, know, you can't really live your life on that. So I was living off a debit and cash. I knew I had to have enough money for my rent. And I knew that in order to have that, I had to spend this and this and that on groceries or uh, restaurants. And maybe I couldn't go to a restaurant one time or I couldn't buy that thing that I wanted because literally I wouldn't have the money. It's not a, it's not a choice that I had. And I think when people are faced with that real situation, they're like, yeah, well, you know, I can't buy that TV, not because I don't think that it's the right one for me right now, because I actually can't do it physically with money. It kind of teaches you, uh, it gives you a little perspective. This is how tracking and budgeting helps you.
1: On the topics of bankruptcy and consumer proposals, can you tell us about what some of the challenges people face after filing for bankruptcy or consumer proposal, perhaps talking about your own personal experience?
0: Yeah. So the first one is any of the banks that were involved in the proposal, oh, they don't like you very much at all. <laughs> so <laughs> let's take you know CIBC, for example. They were nice enough when I was in my heavy gambling phase to continue to increase my credit limit on my credit card to $19,000 when I was probably making $35,000 a year. We could have a whole other podcast about that because no one should have a $19,000 credit limit when they only make $35,000 a year. It's incredible to me that that's so, even a thing.
1: Amen to that.
0: Yes, exactly. CIBC was the biggest one in my proposal. I think it was probably still up at 19, it was like maxed out. So it's very likely and, you know, you, there, people will say there's a way around this, but uh, that they would not, even though I have a, my credit rating is 836 lately, they probably have a black list. That's, that's one of the things. You say that's an urban legend because it can't really prove it, but it's probably true, even though it's not on my credit rating anymore. It's not my credit report, right? So after seven years, well, the proposal was paid off in 50 months, and then three years after that, it's cleared from your report at all. So if anybody looked at my report now, they would have no idea but i had it except there there may be a little gap in my credit rating but it's empty in my credit history that's one of the things the stigma if you're trying to rent a place i mean of course if you're trying to get a mortgage you, you can't not while you're in it unless you find somebody who has really really high interest rates and we can talk about that a little more but that that could be one of the things but renting is people check your credit report right like some some landlords do and so i was a little bit weirded out that oh man if i have to leave my place and i have to get a new one uh, maybe i won't be able to maybe i'll have to get someone to co-sign for me and it's been a long time since i've had to do that right there's a there's a bunch of different things but there's positive things you know i mean you're not going to get any credit right but you can get the collateralized credit that i talked about so if you don't go ahead and start rebuilding your credit with a credit card like that you're not going to be able to you know rent a a car it's really hard to book a flight it's a lot easier today because you can basically pay for things with bitcoin or paypal or anything but And it was all credit cards, you know, 10 years ago. Those are the challenges, like anything that credit cards are convenient for, that's going to be a problem for you. Anything where people need to pull your credit, because my credit rating was basically inability to pay debts as they become due. That's what I would say in my report.
1: Yes. And offline, we were talking about a story you mentioned where you were actually bidding on two houses. It was noticed that there was a gap in your credit. Can you perhaps talk about the challenge that you faced there?
0: When our report was cleared of the proposal, like I said, it's like a blank space, right? It's like people can kind of try to guess what was in there, but there's no proof. When lenders are looking at this and I just sort of come out of it, immediately got a credit card offer from Tangerine for $16,000, which I took this time because you want a lot of available credit limit to increase your credit score. As long as you don't do anything with it, you put stuff on it, you pay for it right away. So I had that, but it was, they're all quite new. And they're like, well, you only had these for six months. We're a little bit worried. You know, my wife had great credit, so it wasn't a huge issue. But you know, they want you to have at least like one year or two years. And there was even time when, when I applied for a credit card and I was out of the proposal, but I was still on my credit report. And I did, went through all the stuff with TD Bank, gave them some money, and they totally denied. They didn't, wouldn't even let me open a collateralized card. They have all these rules. And the people at the branch didn't even know the rules. So they took my $600, which is what they needed to open up a collateralized card. And then I got rejected and they gave it back to me. I'm like, well, why'd you take it in the first place? It's really kind of demoralizing to be in this. And then you have somebody say, yeah, yeah we can help you, no problem. And then, although, no, we can't help you, sorry. That, that, that kind of sucked. TDs, uh, I'm not very happy with them for doing that. They could have just said, sorry, you, know, you have to be out of your proposal for... A little longer than that, right, so you 're going to be treated like like that, but in terms of a mortgage, yeah, like I, we were ready to buy a house, and we were able to pull together the uh, deposit and that kind of stuff and qualify for mortgage, but it was just it 's a little bit trickier, right? Maybe you give it a little bit of time, but eventually your credit rating will be great, and your report will look fine, and there 's be no issues
1: that 's great to hear, and you definitely touched upon it in your last answer. But do you have any other tips to share in terms of rebuilding your credit score after filing for bankruptcy or consumer proposal? And I've also heard of people perhaps going to companies to help repair their credit score, but I haven't heard the best of things about that. I'm just curious if you ever explored that option or if you just totally stayed away from that, because I've kind of heard that it's a bit of a scam. Some of these companies that promise to instantly fix your credit score, I don't really see how that's possible.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I don't see how it's possible either. I, I did my proposal through Hoyes Michaelos, Doug Hoyes' company, and they were great. They told me all the things that I needed to do to make sure that it was cleared from my report. They were really supportive and they, they give you counseling at the beginning and, and everything just went really smoothly with them. But I had to stay on top of Equifax and TransUnion like all the time. So that, you know I think it was August 2015 was when everything was supposed to be purged out of my proposal, right? So they would clear the proposal from the credit report. The credit cards that were related to that proposal would still, were still there. And the credit cards would say, written off due to consumer proposal or something along those lines. So you can't clear the, the one big thing and leave the related things that are basically like arrows pointing to the thing that was cleared. And so I had to explain that to them several times before it was fixed. I think everybody needs to know that the credit score companies and report companies, they're not there for you right? They're there for the banks. They're not going to be like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Like, you know, we should have done the best thing for you. You got to look out for yourself, which means filling out their forms, sending them a bunch of times, calling them, doing whatever you can to get it off until they get it off. Then eventually everything was cleared. And at the same time, just as a side, look at your, the spelling of your name and the, your address and your employers and all that stuff and make sure they're correct because they make so many mistakes. It's unbelievable the things that I've seen. To rebuild your credit, you got to make sure it's accurate. To rebuild your credit while you're in a proposal or, or, or bankruptcy, get the collateralized card, start building something good again. And then as soon as you're out of it, yeah, get those cards. Like unless you're at risk, if you feel at risk of credit, then do not do that. But, you know, do whatever is reasonable for your situation. If you want to be in a position where you can qualify for a mortgage in the future or, or any kind of loan, line a credit, whatever you might need for convenience purposes, because the, the, the main thing is it's really hard to get a house without credit. Nobody has like $700,000 in the bank and it would be great if we all did. Yeah. It takes a long time to save that up, which is why the mortgage business is so huge, right?
1: That's great advice. Now, saving up a down payment, as you mentioned, is no easy feat these days, especially in cities like Toronto and Vancouver. What advice do you have for those struggling to save that money?
0: What happened to me was I had all this debt. So, I was forty thousand dollars in debt, and I was just got a new job that was maybe paying forty thousand a year. But you know I went through this proposal and I got it cut down to fifteen, which was actually fit into the budget because you know forty thousand dollars a year is gross. you don't make that I did have the minimum payments that I wasn't able to keep up with, but when the proposal you know was three hundred dollars a month that I had to put towards my debt and one of the one of the big things is if you have debt, you know you will eventually pay it off if you have a plan and then Now it's paid off, and I have this $300 a month. Well, what am I going to do with that now? I'm going to go spend it every month? No, I'm going to keep living the way that I am. Forget about lifestyle inflation and just take that $300 a month and start saving it now. So, like, there are times in your life when you have to focus on debt repayment, but those times do come to an end. And when you're done with that, and you have all this now free cash flow, don't just like change your life and get a big apartment and and (laughs) you know start Eating out every day, continue to live the same way that you were living because you were doing pretty okay. If if your goal is to have a down payment, if you don't care about a down payment, fine. But if you if you're like, oh, I just can't save for down payment, but you're you know spending all your money on shoes or dinners out or going to Vegas every weekend, you got to think about your priorities. People say I'm bad with money. Hey, maybe you have have an addiction like I like I did, right? Let's start to look into that. It takes a while. You start now. Start start to find help eventually you will get out of it. I totally believe that unless you don't want to. But the hardest thing is to get out of something if you actually don't have the will to do that. And so if you want to save money, but you also have trouble buying things, these are conflicting priorities. So you got to sit down and think about what is my priority and why do I need this stuff? And really, it just comes down to looking at your life. Like you got to stop and look sometimes at your life and decide what's important to you. You can't just keep going through the motions. And I think that's what a lot of people do. And then they just complain that they can't save money when they didn't change a thing. And That's called insanity, right?
1: That's a great way to look at it. Wonderful advice as well. Now, people with addiction and money problems might think that they will never be in a position to buy a house, or if they do, they'll have to settle for an insane mortgage rate. Tell us why that's not the case and why there's still hope.
0: So like I was saying, it just takes time. It would have been hard for me to to look forward to today, but hey, today I could probably qualify for anything. I mean, I I did quit my job a year ago, so that's another story. (laughs) But when I was employed, that would have probably been totally fine. And I would have qualified for, you know, a million dollars or whatever. But since my wife went back to school, you know, I'm going out on my own. It wasn't a priority for us anymore to to focus on a home, so we're not too concerned about that at this moment. but I know with my positive net worth, no debt I'm still in a way better position than a lot of people who are working and you know just have tons of debt there's a going to be a point in your life where you are going to be okay again and you just have to be patient if you think oh I'm never going to be able to afford this i'm never going to be able to buy a house. I just sort just of give up right now and go live in my parents' basement, which is what i was thinking that I would do. I can tell you, you got to change your life. If you change your life, then good things happen. If you keep doing the same thing, then yeah, uh, you know, it's self fulfilling prophecy, right? If you, if you think, uh, oh yeah, because I went through this, or because I'm not good with money, I'll never do this stuff, then that's probably going to happen, because if you think it, it makes it happen. Get your head into the positive, right? Visualize positive thinking. Think about what you, what you want, and that will come. Got to be patient. I think that's the, the biggest thing is we all want stuff right now instantaneously, right? And we go into debt to get it. And then for what? Why is that so important? If you really stop and think about it, it's not. You probably can't even give me a, a good answer, right? If, if you think that I need this stuff now, and I ask you why, there's no answer to that. You're going to say, because that's what everybody does. Well you're not everybody, you're you, and you want to buy a house, so be patient
1: That's a great advice. I mean, certainly, with the higher home prices, you have to be willing to scrimp and save and perhaps rent out a part of your house. you don't have to live in the basement like me, but certainly helps to have a mortgage helper and you can't expect to be able to buy your first house and it to be as nice as your parents' house. So certainly, I think people need to kind of get a bit of a reality check and realize that you kind of have to pay your dues for a bit before you can live in that dream mansion one day. Hopefully,
0: well, that's it, right? People criticize uh, your story because you lived in the basement of your own house, but that's what you did. You you paid your dues, right? You weren't like I'm gonna, you know, live extravagantly now because that's what I deserve. I don't know. Where do people get this stuff? It's not going to get you to where you're going. You're just going to get in more and more debt. And, and I wish there was a way for people to realize that before they step in it. But I'm, I feel like you're one of the lucky ones who kind of figured it out early and didn't have to step in it first. But a lot of people just have to go through some bad stuff. I wish that wasn't the case, but you'll get through the bad stuff. If you're in it now, you'll get through it. I hope you don't have to go through it, honestly. You know, I wouldn't wish an addiction on anyone. It helped me figure out who I am. It helped me like make the person I am today, but it wasn't pleasant. I wish it was shorter, at least, or you know, didn't happen. But hey, you gotta let go of your regrets. Read Sean's book.
1: <laughs> well, thank you, and definitely listen to your podcast as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, then my podcast, the Personal Finance <laughs> Show.
1: Speaking of that, it's been great having you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners besides your awesome podcast?
0: (laughs) Thank you for that. So, I launched a a new site called uh, financialaccounting.ca. My personal finance website is investwisely.ca, and my personal finance podcast is the Personal Finance Show. I also have a lot of experience in bookkeeping and accounting and small business. I launched financialaccounting.ca so that people could go and learn about QuickBooks and QuickBooks Online, easy ways to do like your own like, cloud accounting. And I, I can teach you how to do basic bookkeeping. I want to empower small businesses because when I talked to Doug Hoyes about bankruptcies, he mentioned that a lot of business owners that come in uh, and if they're bankrupt, it's because they weren't able to collect the money that was owing to them. They weren't on top of their receivables. And it's such a basic thing, right? Like who owes you money and how do we get it? And one of the keys to that is, is having a good bookkeeping. It's not that hard, especially now. It's all automated. You can pull everything in. Just like if you use mint.com for your personal stuff or your bank that categorizes everything for you, that's what QuickBooks does too. And there's a couple other options too on Zero and Wave. But like cloud accounting is the way to go. That's my business, small business side. That's what I got going on there.
1: Thanks for sharing that with our listeners. And I'll be sure to include links in the show notes for that. So, Bo, it's been great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being my guest.
0: No problem. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Besides being a podcast host and money coach, I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors, could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. You can reach me by email at Sean at gmail.com, or you can call or text me at six four seven eight six seven thirty seven eleven. Also, be sure to head on over to www seancooperwriter.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. You can also sign up for a free one-on-one 15-minute money coaching consultation with yours truly. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you burn your mortgage sooner too. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating.
0: Until next time, happy mortgage burning.